Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning. I hope everyone is doing well and uh, able to wake up this morning with the time change that took place this weekend. We are having some incredible weather for the tail end of winter. Lest we, lest we forget that we are still in winter. We know we'll probably still have some cloudy and rainy days, but thankfully we've had some really nice weather here uh, towards the end of uh, our winter season. Um, with the time change, it's going to be light a lot longer, and with the weather changing and get a little bit warmer, I'm excited and anticipating that we can start having some form of outdoor gatherings for our gospel communities on Wednesday nights, and then maybe even some outdoor gatherings for a Sunday, what we're doing right now. Uh, and then hopefully we're getting closer to a place where we can maybe return to uh, indoors and just gather with one another because that is part of our ecclesiology. Part of what it means to be a church is that we do gather together. And just Lord willing, we're nearing the end of this mess with COVID and not being able to do it. Uh, doesn't mean we won't do it carefully. We'll still use wisdom and how we do that and sanitize and you know mask and all those things. But just all that to say, my heart is that we get together very, very soon. Uh, perhaps on a time change weekend, uh, there's a benefit to it being online because you likely woke up late or forgot to change your clocks and you might be sitting in your pajamas this morning. And, and that's okay, but we look forward to hopefully very soon be able to gather together as a church in person. My name is Matt, lead pastor here if you have not met me before. And we're just glad you're with us this weekend. Uh, whether you're local to Portland or somewhere else in the country, tuning in for the first time or a regular attender, uh, we are looking at 2021 as a rebuilding year. And, and God is starting to already answer those prayers with some of you who are uh, tuning in with us right now. So we're looking at this year's rebuilding. Maybe you're new with us and you want to know more about that, or, or maybe you feel like um, maybe you're an answer to that prayer that we have as we rebuild. And so we'd love to get a chance just to get to know you a little bit better. You'll see a link for a digital connect card where you can just give us a little bit of your information not so that we can spam you, but just so we have that opportunity to get to know your story. You can get a chance to get to know our story and see if God is maybe calling you to be part of this church family called Sojourn. At Sojourn, we love working through large chunks of scripture. And we typically do this slowly. Uh, part of this is just expositional preaching. And we go kind of verse by verse or chunks of verses at a time to really try to get the, the context of what was originally happening and just to see what was God saying to his original audience and how does that translate to us today and what is it he is telling us. We are in week 18. Yes, week 18 of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, to be fair, we took about five or six weeks off around the holidays in the beginning of the year, but still, we're in week 18. And what's funny is scholars tell us it probably only took Jesus about 20 minutes to preach this entire sermon. Now, it's not that the words he used were so difficult to understand that we couldn't have gone through this in one weekend ourselves, but what I have found is that the follow-through on what it is that Jesus is challenging his followers with, his disciples, that's the part that's hard. That's the part that's challenging, which is why for us, we felt the need to really just kind of slow down and go through this uh, week by week, even with the Lord's Prayer. That took us about seven weeks to go through that. Because I feel like there's something that's missed if we just gloss over and just kind of brush through it very quickly. Now, throughout this entire sermon, from the beginning of chapter 5 to here we are in the middle of chapter 6, Jesus has been calling out religious hypocrisy. Now, if you hate hypocrites, 
or you don't like hypocrites, you are not alone this morning because Jesus is right there with you, especially when it involves the Bible and the church. Each week we see that Jesus has not been easily impressed with someone's lip service of the things that they do. He's not even easily impressed when someone actually does some of these things he's commanding them to do. What he is more, what he cares more about is their heart. What is the motivation behind the obedience that is happening? If you have children, you know that sometimes they can obey, but they obey not because they want to obey. They obey because they think they might get something. You know, I think about some one of my boys. They might wash the dishes or sweep the floor. And then they go, okay, dad, where's my, where's my money? Go, where's your money for what? Well, because I did this job. And usually Andrea looks at him and says, well, I cook dinner. Where's my money? And so uh, that can be the same way in the church. Sometimes we'll do things with a, a, an improper motive. And that's what Jesus has been calling out here every single week for us, this improper motive and the religious hypocrisy that we see from the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, the Lord's Prayer, it took us several weeks to get through. But I want to remind us, we're actually in this section in chapter 6 where there's these three things, these three examples that Jesus has been giving us, where people will do things, oftentimes with the wrong motive, and they do it for the praise of themselves, to say, man, look at Matt, look how generous he is, and look how he prays, and look how he fasts, which is the wrong motive. So rather than doing it for God. So here's our examples. First is generosity. If you remember back to chapter 6, verse 2, it says, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. Second example is prayer. Chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. The third example is what we're going to look at today is in chapter 6, verse 8, 16. Fasting. It says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And so in all three of these examples, what Jesus is showing us is that it's not about you, so don't make it about you. The, the, the purpose of doing these things has never been about you, but so don't make it about you. These are three spiritual practices and really what I like to say is ways of Jesus. They're good things. But what Jesus has shown us is that essentially these good things become completely useless when they're done merely as a religious practice or a duty as to be seen by others. Remember our example, it's like when you read your Bible, do you have to post it on Instagram and put hashtag devotion time, you know, hashtag me and Jesus time? You've already received your praise is what Jesus has, has shown us here, what Jesus taught us if you're doing it that way. doesn't mean if you ever do that, that's wrong. I actually went back and looked at my social media. I think I may have one picture and I kind of cringed when I saw it. But if you do that every single day, every single week, and you, you know, have strategically placed your highlighting marks so people can see it, you're doing it for the praise of man. You're not doing it for the praise of God. And so each of these practices, giving, praying, fasting, they're all preceded by the word when. So go back in your Bibles. Uh, go ahead if you haven't already and turn to Matthew chapter 6. And go back in your Bibles. Find verse 2, verse 6, and verse 16. And circle the word when, or if you're using a, a digital copy on an iPad or a phone, then highlight the word when. So because what this means in each of these cases, that if you of Jesus, it is assumed, in the word when, it is assumed that you desire to follow and practice the ways of Jesus. And it is therefore presumed that you are giving, that you are praying, and that you are fasting. 
And so the portion of the sermon we're going to look at this morning in these three examples, this one is probably the most commonly ignored. I'd go as far as to say that many of our churches, and many of us maybe, have functionally ripped out this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I don't think any of you have actually ripped out the pages. Of course, if it's digital, you don't have the opportunity to do that. But here's what I mean by that. Most churches and most Christians, they stress prayer, that we need to pray, that we need to be dependent on God. They stress generosity and sacrificial giving, whether it's for the needs of the community or sometimes for churches, it's for their facilities or for their staff or whatever it may be. But they stress those two. They stress prayer. They stress giving. But very few put an emphasis on what we're going to look at today or ever even mention fasting. I think about even growing up in the church where I grew up, and some of you might be tuning in this morning. I'm sure it was talked about some, but I would say there was a, uh, it was an imbalance. You know, you think about if, you're, if your tires need to be balanced or rotated because uh, especially we have a leak in a tire this week. We have a nail in one of our tires. And I know my dad's going to call me this afternoon to ask if I've gotten this fixed because he's tuning in this morning. But with that, we've got a tire that's way, way low, and we've got three that are a lot higher. Now, that's bad on your tires. You can run the rim and, and, and all of those things. But it's similar with prayer, generosity, and fasting. Jesus gives all three as an example, but most churches only emphasize two of those, and they maybe they talk about the other one a little bit. But it's kind of like tacked on at the end. In other words, so it's really not that important, and so we don't really do it that much. But let me put, frame this in the context of the Scripture for you. Churches and Christianity may not talk about the practice of fasting much, but the Bible actually talks about fasting no less than 78 times. Now, for us to understand that in a better context, the Bible talks about baptism 75 times. Now, baptism at our church, we believe that's very important. We, we say it's one of the first steps of obedience of someone who's following Jesus. Jesus modeled that for us. He got baptized. And baptism's actually talked about a few less times than fasting, yet we hear very little about fasting. So it would be helpful to define fasting on the front end. I'm sure all of us have an idea of fasting, what that means, but fasting on the front end is defined as when one refrains from food or water or both for a limited period of time in response to a sacred or grievous moment. Scholar Scott McKnight, he says, the focus of the Bible on fasting is not on what we get from fasting or on motivating people to fast in order to acquire something, but instead land squarely on responding to sacred moments in life. And we'll unpack that a little bit further. But what McKnight is getting at there is a lot of times people will fast because they, they fast because they think, man, I'm going to get something from this. I'll have uh, a better reward or, man, I really want this or need this. And maybe if I fast, then God will bless me with that, which there's a, there's a part of that, but that's not necessarily the motive or reason behind why we should fast. And historically, it does involve food. It does involve beverage, typically water, because... That is, that is what we see where that you are depriving yourself. Now, there's some fast, and we'll talk about these a little bit, not in great detail, this idea of, of maybe fasting social media or fasting just media in general or your smartphone or, or TV. Those things are more like abstaining from something, but there is an aspect of where we have a digital diet now, especially after the last year, that we're all digitally connected, even this morning, as you, if you're tuning in digitally. And so uh, there are parts where it doesn't necessarily involve food or water, but traditionally, historically, that's what it's referring to. And so in the Bible story, kind of this grand narrative that we see from Genesis to Revelation, there's three instances where we see fasting, three major ideas that's connected to fasting. The first is Yom Kippur, which is one of the holiest days of the year in Judaism. Second is the Day of Atonement, and the third is, as the Israelites prepare for confession and atonement and forgiveness, 
They would typically fast leading up to that. And so once again, we see examples of fasting in the Old Testament and we see examples of fasting in the New Testament. So it's not one of those areas where you say, well, that was the Old Testament, it's outdated, we no longer do it because we also see it in the New Testament. Now our passage this morning, smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, it draws from the custom of fasting at a specific time as well as from the spontaneous voluntary response to a, a, a grievous moment such as we see in the life of David. Now at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, is a section on spiritual disciplines because Jesus expects, let me say that again, Jesus expects, it's not optional, he expects his disciples to practice generosity. And so as a church, a sojourn, we want to be a church that practices generosity. Then we've taken some really good steps towards that this last year. Jesus expects his followers to practice prayer. I believe that's an area that we've, we've taken some good steps as well. We haven't arrived there and we probably never will, but we'll continue uh, as far as early morning prayer and emphasis on prayer and teaching and We've done uh, Gospel Community, went through a series last year on prayer, and so we're going to continue that. And the third expectation is fasting. And even as a church, we've done a little bit of emphasis on this, but this is probably the one that we've done the least, just as the church I grew up in. So there's this, this imbalancing act there. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we are told, we are told how to fast on the assumption that we would fast. And so that we see there's various kinds of fasts that are practiced throughout the Old and New Testament. I'm just going to give you a small sampling of those. Once again, there's 78 times at minimum mention. And so you can go study this on your own, but here's just a few of those. In Nehemiah 1.4, it says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And so we see that Nehemiah, he's fasting for a repentant heart for the people. And if you were with us when we went to the book of Nehemiah, or if you weren't, you can go back and listen under our sermons tab on our website. Second Samuel 12, we see that David fasted for a sick son. Isaiah 58, there was they, people fasted in order to share bread with those who don't have it. In other words, they were fasting to empathize with those who were hungry. Luke 4, we see that, so now we're in New Testament. We see that Jesus fasted for 40 days for spiritual strength. Okay, if Jesus did that for spiritual strength, it might be a good idea that we do that for spiritual strength. Acts 13, we see that the church fasted and worshiped and prayed for God to come, for God to show up, for God to rain down. And then Acts 14, we see that the church fasted before laying hands on new elders in the church. And so go ahead and turn with me now, if you haven't already, to Matthew chapter six, verse 16, and we'll pick up in fasting. Matthew 6, 16 uh, through verse 18. It says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So we see this phrase, when or whenever, depending on what your translation says, it probably says and when, it indicates that people will fast, but it leaves the times open. It doesn't say a specific time. It doesn't say breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or during this week of the month. It just says when they fast. So it's assumed that fasting will be taking place. It's a regular practice of a, uh, in the life of a believer. But it says when you fast, try to avoid looking somber. So when you're fasting, don't look sad. Don't walk around rubbing your belly and, oh man, I'm so hungry. Oh, I'm in pain. Like the hypocrites do. Don't disfigure your face where it's all like sucked in and puckered in and so that people say, oh man, he must be fasting. Or hey, what's going on, man? I'm, I'm, I'm fasting right now. Jesus says, don't do that. He says, instead, anoint your head with oil. Now in the Old Testament under Mosaic legislation, fasting was commanded only on the Day of Atonement. So there was a, there was a specific day it was um, commanded to do. But during the exile, regular fast of remembrance were instituted. 
in addition to these national fasts, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, they describe this personal group of fasts for a variety of purposes, especially to indicate this foster of self-humiliation before God, and often it's in connection with sin or some type of sins, or to lay on some special petition before the Lord, sometimes out of anguish, danger, or in desperation. Okay, so there's examples of both the Old and New Testament. Now, in this passage, what we're looking at today, by the time Jesus had arrived on the scene, not as a baby, but as an adult, we see that fasting had become so normal, they had become normalized, that the Pharisees were fasting at minimum twice a week, typically on Monday and Thursdays. Now, voluntary fast provided great reasons and opportunities for religious showmanship. So what, what the Pharisees were doing is they were gaining this reputation. And, and you know, I'm sure, like, think about our modern context on Alberta Main Street. Oh, it's like all of the lunch places would know, oh, man, they're fasting. Sojourn's fasting today. So our business is going to be down because, you know, they support us with business. But basically, they knew that this group of Pharisees were going, man, they're, they're doing it because they want to be known for the religious piety. They were doing it so they said, man, those people are super spiritual. Like, they're giving up food. They are fasting. And so the point is not that there's not a genuine reason to fast, but these hypocrites were purposely doing it in a way to draw attention to themselves. They were letting it know that they were hungry. They were disfiguring their faces. They probably wore the bigger clothes that made them look even, even skinnier so that, that people would know that they are fasting. They were doing this because they wanted the applause of man. They wanted people to say, man, you are so spirit. Like, I can never attain to what you are. And here's what it shows us. Jesus shows they actually got them. They wanted the applause of man. They got the applause of men. And according to Jesus, that is your reward. You have already received it. So in a really, in a very real way, your fasting then is useless. You did it for yourself and you did it for the applause of men, but it's going to get you nowhere. So instead of participating in God's perspective on something over which one ought to be sorrowful of their, their sin, and instead of entering into this grief of the sacred moment, the hypocrites, as they typically do, they turn this sacred occasion into a theatrical performance. Okay, the hypocrites were known at this time. It was, it was almost like going to the theater and they were just putting on a, a mask. Okay, I know I just said that. We all put on masks every day. You guys know what I mean. Like putting, I put on a Batman mask this morning and pretending I was Batman or Spider-Man mask. They were put on their mask as these religious, spiritual people in order to be seen by others. So Jesus comes in. He's addressing his followers then. He's also addressing his followers this morning. And he informs his followers or would-be followers of their hypocritical behavior. And he says, this is how the hypocrites behave, but you, my followers, this is not how you are to behave. You are to be different when you fast. Now, there can be no doubt that in scripture, fasting has to do in various ways with self-denial and self-discipline. I mean, you're denying yourself food. There's gotta be some kind of discipline when our brains are wired, especially as Americans, that we eat when we first wake up, then we eat a snack around 10 a.m., then we eat lunch midday, and we eat another snack, then we eat dinner, and then another snack. Like our brains are wired that way, specifically as Americans. And so there is a self-denial and there's a self-discipline takes place. But the evidence is plain that special enterprises need special prayer. And so the special prayer may involve fasting. So it's more than just about the food. And, and we are to fast in such a way that those in the streets would not know that you're fasting. You're to, you are to fast, even as a church, unless we're doing a communal fast, like you need to fast in a way that we don't have a clue that you are fasting. We may ask you to go out to eat and you may say, no, thanks. And Maybe we think you're rude, but you just don't tell us that you're fasting. But you are to fast in a way your Father in heaven knows. So just as it was with prayer, remember, remember prayer, we're not to do it to be showy in front of everyone else. We're to give prayer, to get on our knees, go in our prayer closet so that no one else knows it, that nobody else sees it. 
When we are to give, we're not to do it and say, look how big my check is, or look at all the cash I'm throwing into the offering bucket, or look how big my credit card thing was online. No, we're to do it in secret, just to be generous, because God calls us to those things, and the fasting is the same way. We're not to fast in a way to go, oh, I'm so hungry, and suck in our stomachs, and make our faces look all gloomy. No, we're to do it when no one else knows. Fast is a means of private devotion with, remember our very first part of Sermon on the Mount, our Father in heaven. That's what we're fasting. We're fasting for our Father in heaven, that he will see it, that we will commune with him, that we will grow deeper spiritually with him, and that he will reward us. Now, fasting may not be a part of, a regular part of our lives. Maybe some of you it is, but some of us probably not. Yet, Jesus assumes that we as his followers, that it will be a regular part of our lives. For some of us, fasting might seem like this antiquated punishment. It's just kind of old school. It's outdated. Like no one really fasts anymore. Like we still need money to live. So we kind of get the giving thing and prayer. I mean, yeah, that's how we talk about fasting. Like no one really does that, right? seems like this kind of old religious practice. You you might even point to other traditions and other backgrounds. That's kind of what they do. And fasting might at least seem like something we do to just get something from God. And so while fasting might seem like all of those things, Scripture clearly says when, not if, when you fast. And so it assumes that we will do this. It assumes this practice will be part of our regular spiritual rhythms. Now, God isn't going after your food here. You might think, man, God, why you got to take away food? Like, some of us love food. We live in a foodie city. Our city loves food. Some of us are like, God, why do you have to go after my food? I mean, that's where I connect with people. That's where I build relationships with people. That's where I share about you with other people. So surely you don't expect me to fast. But God's not going after your food. God's going after your heart. And so I was even thinking about this week, like fasting in a very real way is like, are you willing to push away the craving for that Pine State biscuit one day this week and say, no, instead I'm going to fast in order to get rid of a sin in my life or instead I'm going to fast in order to, to on behalf of the, uh, the growth of Sojourn Church or instead of giving in and that biscuit that I'm craving, I'm going to fast for something that's going on in my family life. Now, I'm going to open up and be transparent a little bit. If you know me very well, this won't surprise you. I have a strange relationship with food. I love food, and I love eating food. I mean, I love living in a foodie city. But for me, I have too much desire for food. I easily overeat. Andrea would be able to test to this more than anyone else, which is one reason I don't frequent buffets. One, the food's usually not that good of quality, but also I know that I want to get my money's worth. And so it's not one or two plates. It's multiple plates. Thank God. I love Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite holidays. But thankfully, Thanksgiving only comes around once a year. Now, usually after I overeat, what happens? If, you do, if you're like me and you overeat sometimes, you, have to, you know what I'm talking about. You have extreme remorse. You then kind of normally feel bloated or at least kind of feeling like, oh, I should not have had that second helping or I should not have had that last chicken wing or I should not have had that third scoop of ice cream, whatever it may be. And now in India, when we were ministering there, I realized that food for me had become a comfort. I'd never realized that up until that point in time, but food really became this comfort. And and when I was lonely, when I was feeling isolated, when I was even feeling depressed at times, I would fill that void with food. And so in a very real way, food crossed over this line of a necessity or even something enjoyment for pleasure to at times an idol. There was a, a version of idolatry with that. And then I joke that when I moved to Portland, I gained my Portland 15 or my Portland 30. You know, like your freshman year of college, you move away and you're not with mom and dad and you eat all food and you gain your freshman 15. But I realized further, just like in India, in Portland, that food had become this little G God in my life at times because I would look towards it for 
my comfort. I would look for it when I'm isolated. I look for it when I'm, I'm feeling lonely and away from everyone, feeling like I'm, I'm all by myself. And so I tend to eat too much. Just this week, I was craving something sweet. I have a huge sweet tooth. And so I love going to Loretta Jean's to get pie. I love going to Salt and Straw to get ice cream. I love sweets. And so I was craving something sweet. And I was looking through our cabinet and I found this box of Trader Joe's chocolate cookies with chocolate icing little sprinkles on them. Well, I knew that we hadn't been to Trader Joe's anytime recently because we've been out, we were out of town, came back in town. And so I thought our house sitters had bought this box and left it there because it was already open. I thought, this is great. So I helped myself to some of the cookies. And then a couple hours later, I thought, man, I'm gonna go eat some more of those cookies. So in the end, I ate the rest of the box of cookies. I threw the box away. I recycled it where no one else in my family could see it. Threw the bag away thinking, nobody's gonna know that I finished the box of cookies. Until that night, I came upstairs and I see Andrea ferociously looking through the pantry and she's looking on each shelf. And I immediately knew what she was looking for. She said, have you seen a box of Trader Joe's cookies? And I thought, there's no way around this one. I'm gonna to have to fess up and let her know that I had ate the remaining box of the cookies. Now I share that because I love food, but in many ways, I have an emotional dependence on food. I tend to eat all my feelings away. Some people drink their feelings away. Some people will post on social media and kind of tweet their feelings away. I eat them. What I mean by that is I celebrate with food. So if it's my anniversary and we're celebrating another year of marriage, we'll go out and get a nice meal. But if I'm feeling down and lonely and sad, I will also mourn with food. And so my emotions, I tend to eat my emotions away. Now, this can make things like fasting very difficult for me. But I think it teaches us a lot about our faith when we fast. And so I think I'm not alone in this. I'm not saying that you all have that same dependence on food that at times I have. But as Americans, we typically all like to eat. And in a city that's a foodie city, we tend to all like to eat. And so this idea of fasting can be really, really difficult for us. But remember here, Jesus isn't going after food. He's not going after our plate of food. He's not going after our, our slices of pie and our ice cream. What he's going after is our hearts. He's going after our hearts. He's going after motivation of our heart. Why it is it that we, he commands us to do this and why it is it we are to do it? Now, just like the Pharisees, if we're honest, many of us want the applaud of people. Right? We like being told that, man, we did a really good thing. We like receiving the award and praise of people. We like being told how wonderful a job that we have done. But it's not bad to receive those things. It's bad to crave those things. Okay? One, of the, one of the challenges in doing a digital sermons is, you know, once again, there's weeks, man, it'd, be, it'd be nice to hear I did a good job. Maybe I didn't do a good job. I don't know. We all like those things. When we work on a project, whether it's at work or something with the church or something with our family, we like to receive you know, recognition that we did those things. But we have to ask ourselves the motivation of our heart. And so it's the same thing with fasting. That are we doing it to be recognized? Say, Man, how many times did you fast this year? But it's, it's not bad to, to want to receive those things, but it's bad to depend on those things. And so we love recognition, just like the Pharisees, which brings us to verse 17 and 18. It says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may be seen, not by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so Jesus said, those who follow him will fast from time to time. But he says nothing about the frequency, the occasion, or the method. He is concerned mostly with the motive behind your fasting. He says it is to be done secretly, in secret, with a right heart motivation before your father in heaven. Now, the washing and anointing with oil 
That may sound strange to us, but that would just be a normal hygiene practice. It's just think about you taking a shower. So in other words, when you fast, don't try to look extra gloomy and dirty and hungry. Go take a shower, look fresh, you know, put on your normal makeup if you wear makeup, do those things. And so the point of Matthew 8, 6, 18 is not to draw attention to oneself, whether by being sober-minded or whether with extreme joy, but Jesus desires that we don't deceive others, and that we don't, don't, don't say, look at us. Because it says, your father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. We see that back in verse uh, four. And so Jesus prescribes the exact opposite here. He said, his followers are not to appear to be fasting. So even as we fast as a church, we're not gonna appear to be fasting because it's a matter between us and our Father in heaven. And so the purpose of fasting is not to advertise ourselves. The purpose of fasting is to discipline ourselves, not to gain a reputation for being extra super spiritual above somebody else, but we fast to express our humility before God, our need before God. We fast to express our concern for others in our life, in our community. And it's for these purposes, if they are fulfilled, then our reward will be enough. So I want to leave you with four principles for fasting. So if you're taking notes, this would be a good time to jot these things down. Four principles for fasting. The first principle is that fasting reminds us of our absolute dependence on God. And so there's, there's different types of fasts, as we've looked at even briefly this morning. You, you might fast for strength, or you might be fasting for wisdom, or you might be fasting over a particular sin that's habitual in your life. But what the reminder is that it's all dependent on God. We're all dependent on God for the strength, the wisdom, and to be free of that sin. Sometimes you fast because you don't know what else to do. You don't know what is coming next. Hello, sojourn. We're in a rebuilding year. After 2020, we don't know what comes next. Honestly, we, we don't know what the future holds. We'll make plans and we will move forward and we are going to rebuild. But ultimately, we don't really hold what happens next. And so we might be fasting as a church say, God, we just need you to show up. Just guide us, direct us, show us which way sojourn church is to go. And as Americans, we try to avoid fasting. We try to fill our lives with obviously food as, as I do or social media or something else. But we need to be reminded that we need to fast to recognize our absolute dependence on God. Second thing, second principle, fasting teaches us to practice self-denial. And self-denial is part of what it means to be a Christian. Luke 9, 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so part of Christian self-denial is that we get to practice that with food or with social media or with our phones. You know, I think for some of us, fasting food actually may not be that difficult. But what's harder is what we pull out our phone. You know, we can't stand in line for two minutes somewhere without pulling out our phone and just checking it. And so there's times that maybe you need to fast social media or maybe you need to fast just even using your phone. We were all online and have so much screen time now because of the pandemic. So there's times you might just say, man, after work hours, I'm just going to shut this. I'm not going to open it. I'm just going to be present with those that God has placed around me. And I'm going to fast that. And instead of posting on social media, instead of scrolling mindlessly, I'm going to seek God and pray. And then as an action, I want us as a church to, to do this together, to, to seek something together, to really just seek God, to say, God, we want to know what's next as a church in 2021. And so I'm going to give you this Thursday, if you can. I understand that some of you might not be able to, but this coming Thursday, if you're able to set aside a time to fast. Some of you, you might be able to do the morning. You might say, I'm going to fast breakfast. I've never, I've never gone from when I wake up until midday without eating. For some of you, you might say, man, I've got a condition. I just have to eat breakfast, but I'm going to fast lunchtime. For some of you, you might say, I'm going to eat breakfast, I'm going to eat lunch, I'm going to fast dinner. And then others, you might just say, man, I'm going to fast from 
breakfast all the way through dinner, and you might fast all of it. I'm going to leave that up to you and to God. But for some of you, forego breakfast, or maybe you forego lunch, or, or maybe it is that you turn off social media, and you push those things aside, and you say, God, during this time, I'm going to fill my mind with the things of Christ. I'm going to worship. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek you, and I'm going to seek you specifically for, for just guidance, direction for us as a church, and where it is you're leading us and rebuilding us in 2021. The third principle, fasting is part of a lifestyle of devotion. We see that some fast in the Bible for wrong reasons, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. But there's a second more alarming group. We don't have time to go into this passage, but if you look up Isaiah 58, we see that people were fasting and it looks like God wasn't listening. Well, why not? Because it says they fasted to seek their own pleasure. And so maybe you're fasting, but meanwhile you're fasting, you're still being a jerk at work. And so I don't see how living horribly actively living horribly and taking these steps and then fasting is going to do anything for you. Think about fasting, it's not only about giving up something. It's also about replacing that with something. So some of you might say, man, I really want to read the Bible more. I really want to pray more, but man, I just have no time. Here's the reality. We're all given the same amount of time. Every single one of us. It's what you do with that time that shows your priorities. Now I get it. Currently in in this season, I'm the full-time pastor. So I would say above all of you, I have more time to do these things. I have very little to any excuses. But the rest of you, with children at home and working full-time jobs and being students, you're doing all these things. But you might say, I really want to read the Bible more prayer. I have no time. Well, here's where fasting comes in place. Fast a section of your day. Fast a meal, because you, I guarantee you all still eat, and say, you know what? During this time, I'm going to fill that. I'm going to skip my lunch by fasting. And during my 30-minute lunch break or my hour lunch break, I'm actually going to read scripture and pray. I'm going to feed my soul rather than to feed my belly during that time. This is where active fasting comes into play. And then number four, the fourth principle. Fasting teaches us to be patient with delay. Part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is we're people who are, who are waiting. I mean, right now we're waiting for the new heaven and new earth. We're waiting for Jesus to return Again, I tell you guys what, I long for that day more and more every day. So when you are fasting, every time your stomach growls, you're reminded of something. You're reminded of something you need to be praying for. You're reminded, man, I'm not filling my belly right now, but man, God, you brought someone to my heart, someone to mine. I'm going to pray for that person during this time. And then it's also a good reminder for us. There's something more that we are looking for. We are ultimately longing for God. We're longing for that new heaven, that new earth. We're longing for it to be in Portland as it is in heaven. And longing for that return of Jesus. It's a good reminder for us that we aren't home yet. This isn't how it's supposed to look. And one day, there will be a feast in heaven. A feast that there is no fasting. And we also don't have to worry about weight gain and all of those things. We just get to eat and enjoy the pleasure of the feast that our Father in heaven will provide for us. And we can enjoy it without any repercussions that we have in this life. Now, as we finish... Here's how we're going to finish, church. Some of you, if you're tuning in this morning and you don't know Jesus or you're not right with God, some of you need a permanent fast. And what I mean by that is you need a permanent fast on your self-righteousness by giving your life to Jesus this morning. And as a church, we always want to make room for that and invite you to do that. If you're in person, we would say that someone would meet you and pray with you, but most of you tuning in, you're online. And so if you would just put the word prayer We'll know that you want to respond and someone will meet you there. But you'd simply do this by recognizing that you are a sinner. 
by recognizing that you are in need of a Savior and that Savior is Jesus Christ and you simply put your trust and faith in him. And we would love nothing more than walk you through that today. So that's how some of you need to respond this morning. Others of you at Sojourn, I would, I would assume it's probably the most of us. I'm gonna post some links, uh, maybe in the chat or in our digital handout, you'll see some links to some blogs on fasting. Some of these are on our website that have been maybe in the past, but all still relevant. And just to learn more about this practice of fasting, what it is, how you do it, different types of fast and scripture to read, when you fast. And then once again, as a church, we're gonna, the challenge to fast this coming Thursday. We're gonna, we're gonna take this communal fast and I'll likely be posting some prayer prompts in our community page on Facebook and maybe send out emails for those of you who aren't on Facebook just so that we can fast as a church, whether you're skipping lunch or breakfast or dinner and just see what it is that God wants to show us as a church. What is it that God wants to teach us as a church as we fast together? And then we're gonna finish this morning by singing a song of dependence on God. And so our prayer is to come Holy Spirit in our fast and fill us up. And so church, let me pray for us this morning. God, you've taught us week in and week out about these different areas of giving and being generous as your people, about praying and seeking you and your will as your people. And God, now we're looking at fasting. God, one that we don't really talk about a lot. And so God, forgive us where we have ignored this discipline that you have clearly taught us. It's not optional. It says when you fast. God, I look at the, the state of America. I look at the church in America, God. It's really a lot of times it's disheartening. It looks like we're in disarray. And so God, I look at this because maybe this is what the answer. Maybe the answer is that your church across this nation, your church in this city needs to come together and seek you by fasting giving up something that we desire, giving up even good things, but to seek you. And so God, as your church, as Sojourn Church, as a local church, one slice of that pie, and we wanna come before you with a fast this week. We ask that you would mend our hearts together and God, that you would speak to us and show us where it is your spirit is leading us and guiding us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.